Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. It's been a wonderful morning so far. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible. Uh, we're in a new section of Acts. We're still in the book of Acts, but we're starting a new section. Acts chapter 8 uh, takes us to a new part of Acts because we see the gospel uh, going beyond Jerusalem. And what do we remember about Jesus' words to his uh, disciples and when it came to his mission? He said, you will receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So far, we've seen the gospel in Jerusalem. But chapter 8 introduces us to singing this gospel in other places, uh, a certain place called Samaria. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. I want to invite you to turn your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available in the pews. And uh, I'll go ahead and let you know the page number so you don't have to fumble through. Uh, 862 if you're using a pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you today. You take it home with you. That now belongs to you. Uh, but once you've found your place, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Verse 9, and we'll be going through verses 24, Lord willing. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles or power performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Let's pray. Father, as we have worshipped You already this morning through song, prayer, uh, even through the giving, Lord, we continue to worship You uh, by sitting under the preaching of Your Word. Father, I pray that You will help me be Your messenger this morning. I pray Your Holy Spirit will be the primary preacher. Lord, I pray that Your message that is perfect, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, will be delivered. Uh, to all the recipients here at West Acres Baptist Church. Father, please bless us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know this is summertime, but my thoughts were going to Thanksgiving this week during my sermon preparation. It was Thanksgiving 2006. I was stationed uh, with the Navy in New Jersey, joined the Navy to see the world. They sent me to New Jersey. <laughs> and I had to stay there for the holidays. I was there for Thanksgiving. But I remember my sister, uh, Hattie, uh, she made her way up to spend the holiday with me. And we thought it would be exciting to go spend Thanksgiving in New York City, you know, to be able to see the, uh, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and all those good things. So we hopped on a train and made our way to New York City, on Thanksgiving Day, and my sister Hattie had one goal in mind that day. It was not to see the parade, it was not to see the Empire State Building, it was not to see the Statue of Liberty, uh, but Hattie had in her mind that she would take advantage of the Big Apple by finding a fake Louis Vuitton handbag. <laughs> so that was our mission that day on Thanksgiving. We're very thankful, right? But why, why a fake one, you may ask? Well, the real thing costs thousands of dollars. But in New York City at this time, you could find a fake one for about $20. So we went all over the place in New York City on foot. We were too cheap to use a cab, so we walked for miles going from shop to shop. I think we finally found one in Chinatown. She finally settled for one in Chinatown. Now, I'll be honest with you, that trash is pro that bag, trash, uh, <laughs> That bag is probably in the trash right now. It probably doesn't even exist. But I look back at those memories, and I treasure that special Thanksgiving I was able to spend with my sister. I treasure the adventure we had looking for a counterfeit handbag. <laughs> when it comes to counterfeit items, our world is full of them. The church is also full of counterfeits. We see that in our text today. That was the case for Simon, the magician. He was a counterfeit believer. He was a counterfeit believer. Our passage today picks up in Samaria. Uh, last week we learned that uh, because of the great persecution in Jerusalem, the gospel and the church had been scattered and made its way through Samaria uh, through the faithful preaching and ministry of, of one of these, uh, what we would call the prototype deacon, Philip. Because of his preaching, the gospel came to this city, this region of Samaria, and much joy came to this area. But then we pick up in verse 9. and The first word we see in verse 9 is that word, but. But. This is always an indicator that the story is going in a different direction. This is also a clue that there is something wrong with this man named Simon. 
There's something wrong with him. We see this man joining the crowd. Uh, We see this man joining the church in Samaria. But what we're going to learn from our passage today is that this man's faith was not sincere. He was a phony. He was a fake. As we look at Simon's story, though, I want to point out something. I want to point out first and foremost, he had something right. He had the right motions. He had the right motions. What do I mean by that? Our text today reveals that Simon had the the proper externals that we we see in the life of a believer or a so-called believer. On the outside, Simon looked good. He blended in with this new community of believers. He went through the motions. Does that sound familiar? We go through the motions even Christians are guilty of going, just going through the motions sometimes. That's why we sang this morning. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. But some people never get past those motions. They just stay in those motions. He had the right motions. Look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. In that one verse of Scripture, we see three motions that Simon went through. The first motion is this. He believed. He believed. A simple reading of this verse makes many people believe. Now, preacher, I I don't agree. You call this guy a counterfeit believer. The Scripture itself calls him a believer. Well, Scripture also called Judas a disciple. We knew what happened to him. You look at the overall context of this story, we see that his faith wasn't real. It was counterfeit. Yes, he had a profession of faith. But when Philip came to town doing all his signs and wonders, preaching the gospel. By the way, if you notice the crowd in Samaria, their faith was a result of the preaching. The preaching. But when uh, Simon sees all that's going on, he, he says, I believe. I, I'm a believer. Hey, everybody. You remember me, Simon the Great? I believe too. Notice the text never even tells us the object of his faith. It just says he believed. Some people, I mean, some folks even say that. I I believe. What do you believe? Who do you believe? We also see in the rest of verse 13, it goes on to reveal Simon's true heart, what he was truly consumed with. He wasn't consumed or fixated on the gospel message. He was consumed with the miracles, the signs. Verse 13, uh, part B, it says, And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Let's not forget what was his profession. He was a magician. I know that sounds silly today. If someone came here and said, what do you do for a living? I'm a magician. We would laugh. We would say, oh, do you go to birthday parties and, and things like that. But today, this was an actual thing. This guy made his living being a magician. Uh, he had cheap tricks but he also used the power of Satan. When we think of magic, don't, when you think of America's got talent or Britain's got talent, and you see these magicians, yes, there's trickery by hand. But folks, magic also calls on the powers of Satan, the powers of darkness. We see this in Scripture, the book of Exodus, when Moses went to Pharaoh and, and performed all the, the signs, the plagues, We also see that the the magicians in Egypt were able to mimic the powers of God by their secret arts. We also learn in the days to come, there's going to be a figure in history known as the Antichrist. He is going to perform signs and wonders, and he is going to be empowered by 
none other than Satan himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. When that time comes, we're not going to be watching. Uh, I'm not going to be here. When that time comes, you don't want to be here either. There's going to be folks saying, oh, that's just deep fake technology. That's just CGI. That's just uh, all, the, all the crazy stuff they're able to do with computers. No, this guy's going to have real power. And it's going to come from the devil. Simon believed in miracles, but he didn't believe in the person behind the miracles. He believed in the signs, but he didn't believe in the Savior. His belief was not in Christ. He, he did not trust Christ for salvation. We're going to see later, he doesn't even recognize he's a sinner. He, he doesn't even see his need. He, he doesn't trust in God's Word. This is much like the people in John chapter 2. They, were just, uh, they, they believed because of miracles. Look at John chapter 2, verse 23. It's on the screen. Now when he was in Jerusalem, that being Jesus... At the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew their belief was only in the miraculous and not in his word. John Phillips, a commentator, says this, The faith that rests on miracles is not worth much. If we win people with sensationalism, we will need sensationalism to keep them. People who come for loaves and fishes will have to be kept with loaves and fishes. You can't just believe in miracles. You have to believe in the man, the Messiah, the Savior. Simon had belief. He had profession of faith, but we see already it was counterfeit. The second thing we learned uh, going through the motions, uh, he was very familiar with baptism. He was baptized. Simon, the magician, was baptized, but he was a phony. He was a fake. So what does this tell us? Baptism does not save you. Now, if you drove up here this morning, what's on our sign? We're Baptist. I, I love baptizing people. Uh, we're all about baptism, but we're all about believers' baptism. We're all about seeing people get saved, then get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. If baptism saves you, that means we're not saved by grace through faith alone. It means we're saved by works. That's not the case. Baptism does not cleanse you. It does not take away your sins. I've said before, if you get baptized here, love to baptize you. If you haven't been baptized, you've been saved. That's just a big old bathtub up there with Columbia County water in it. And sometimes it's dirty. Watch the videos on the screen. You'll notice some of y'all got baptized. There's like a tent to it. Tim's sweating over here. Say, so don't tell them that. <laughs> Baptism doesn't save you, but it's the first step of obedience for someone who has been saved. It's the very first thing you do. It, it, it's the very first thing you do after you're saved. It's an outward sign of something that has taken place on the inside. Well, baptism is a beautiful gift of God. It's an ordinance for the church. There have been so many people that have been baptized that aren't truly saved. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
I don't know why they were baptized. Maybe they were baptized like Simon. They just wanted to fit in. They wanted to join this new movement. They wanted to join the crowd. Maybe, pray, pray about this. I, I, I'm all about vacation Bible school. Maybe they saw their buddy doing it. They just wanted to join in. Maybe they were pressured by a parent or peer. Maybe they just, and this is kind of new. This sounds new to, to the day we're living. I just want to experience some kind of spiritual experience. I'm going to be baptized. Come to my baptism. No, folks, let me tell you this. A person must never experience baptism until they have experienced salvation. Get the order right. Simon had been baptized, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. Another motion that we see is that he continued with Philip. What does that mean? That means he he kept going to church. This new church in Samaria, he he kept going. He kept showing up. This man was attached to the body of Christ. Moreover, I would say from our text today, he was attached at the hip to Philip. Wherever you saw the preacher, guess what? You saw Simon. And we know why, because we've got the text. We can read it. The the people who went to church with probably didn't notice this. But he was amazed by the signs and the wonders. That's how he made his living. He wanted to know how Philip was doing these things. I want these tricks. I want this power. That's what he was fixated with. But I could just hear the crowd now at church saying, Man, I just can't believe all the good things that are happening in the life of Simon. He believed. He got baptized. He's at church every Sunday. God is doing such a good work in this man's life. All because he was going through the motions. But we know it wasn't real. Simon continued going to church. But every time he went to church, he continued being lost as he could be. Dear friend, I want to say this today. Church is full of people just like Simon that go to church Sunday after Sunday that are lost as they can be. And if that is you today, if you know you've been in church all this time and you've been lost and you know that you need to be saved, I want to say this, don't let pride get in the way of your salvation. You don't have Jesus, you run to Him today. I don't care if you've been here for a week. I don't care if you've been here since day one at West Acres Baptist Church. If you haven't been saved, it doesn't matter. You come to Him today. Don't keep putting it off. Don't keep making excuses. Don't keep listening to the excuse maker, Satan himself. I can just hear his nasty little voice telling you right now, Oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to let those people know you haven't been saved all this time. You're a teacher. You're a deacon. You're you're a key person in this place. You're going to mess it all up if you let them know. You're going to ruin this church if you get saved. Dear friend, if you get saved today, you're not going to bring ruin to this church. You're going to bring revival. You don't let anything keep you from coming to Jesus. If you find yourself in this boat of Simon, you're like, I've been a counterfeit believer. If you want to be a true believer today, you make it be so. You call on to Jesus to save you. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. When you stand at the judgment of Christ, you're not going to be able to stand saying, well, God, I didn't want to come to you because I was scared of what so-and-so thought or what so-and-so thought. That's not going to work. 
You are going to be standing before the great judge, Jesus Christ. It's going to be between you and Him. With that being said, today where you sit, it is between you and Him. Simon had the right motions. We've learned already through those motions, he had the wrong motives. That's our second point today. But before, before we look at those motions, we've got to pay attention to something very important that's taking place in the book of Acts. I could make this his very own point, but it, it just fits well with my outline. Uh, so let's look at verses 14 through 17. We learn something very important about the Holy Spirit in this passage today. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 16. For he, he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. This is kind of interesting. The Samaritans believed they'd been baptized, but they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. So what are we supposed to make of this? Well, this is very important for us to stop and pay attention to because over the years there have been some differing views uh, to come from this isolated passage of Scripture. It's never good to form a doctrine with one verse of Scripture. But we see here that they had not received the Holy Spirit. Some use this text to teach that, aha, you got to be baptized before you receive the Holy Spirit. Some churches actually believe that. They teach this because of this one verse of Scripture. Others teach this. No, you've got to have some crisis of the faith. You've got to have this, this second awakening where you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. That comes after water baptism. And by the way, when that happens, you're going to speak tongues. Can I tell you something? Both of those views are wrong. They're wrong. I've already said already, this text should not be used to complete, uh, should not be used to form a complete doctrine regarding the Holy Spirit. That's dangerous, by the way, with any book of the Bible. Don't use the book of Acts, the early church, to form an isolated doctrine on the Holy Spirit. We have the whole New Testament. You have the Apostle Paul, he's going to get saved later in this story. He wrote some wonderful epistles where he just flat out tells us what we need to know about the Holy Spirit. But this was a unique situation going on in Samaria. This was a unique situation going on in church history. The book of Acts, if you're taking notes, is a transitional book. It's a transitional book. Think about early on the day of Pentecost. We don't receive the Holy Spirit like that. Those folks, they were already believers. They were already followers of Christ. They were already in the upper room. But they didn't receive the Holy Spirit immediately upon their faith. They received the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost. That's a one and done. It's not going to happen like that every single time. Similarly, we see that in the case for the Samaritans. Now let me explain. Let me share a little history with you on the Samaritans. When it came to the Jews and the Samaritans, there was great hostility between these two groups. Why is that? I don't have time to go through all the history today, but if you look at the overall picture of the Old Testament, all the different exile periods, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, all those details, we learn that the folks that lived in Samaria, they intermarried with the different peoples surrounding them. 
Now, in 2023, we're, just, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not racist, we're not any of those things. But when it came to marrying the different people surrounding them, they were marrying into paganism. So they had Jewish roots, but they had a little salt and pepper of all these other things going on. That's why the Jews, the ones that didn't intermarry, they looked down on the Samaritans. And I know this sounds abrasive, but they would say this themselves. They're just a bunch of half-breeds. They're just a bunch of heretics. These folks did not get along with one another. They even had rival temples. The Samaritans formed their own temple. They had their own mountain that they thought was significant to them rather than Jerusalem. With that being said, these two groups did not get along with one another. I know this history, we're living in a time where history is getting erased. These were like the Hat, Hatfields and McCoys. I know we got some Kentucky people and West Virginia people here. Uh, they were like the Hatfields and McCoys. They hated each other. With that in mind, let's go back to Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. You're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. Jesus himself said, listen, the gospel is going to go forth from Jerusalem. The world receives this gospel. It is for all that means, if you're Jewish, you mean the Samaritans are going to get saved too, Lord? Yes, they're going to get saved too. But wait a minute, wait a minute, what about all this strife between the Jews and the Samaritans? If, if the gospel is going to go to them and we don't get this, this situation taken care of, which the Jews were never able to take care of, by the way, I think 500 years, uh, they were always at odds with one another. Christianity comes in the picture, guess what? Things were resolved. But we see this, that if they didn't get this situation taken care of between the Jews and the Samaritans, the church was going to split before it ever got started. Because if the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans without any apostles there, yes, Philip was there, he was faithful. But what do we know about Scripture? Apostolic authority. Apostolic authority. The 12 apostles served a very special purpose in church history. If the Holy Spirit would have come upon them on their own without Peter and John there, we would have had two different churches. Just like we would have had two different groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. You would have had the Jewish Christians and the Samaritan Christians. But when Peter and John come to town, they come there not to hate the Samaritans, what do we know about the Apostle John earlier in the Gospels with his brother James? What did they want to do to Samaria? Lord, you want us to call down thunder? You want us to call down punishment on these people? John had a background with Samaria. Now he's here in a whole new context. Peter and John were not coming to, to disbelieve what had happened. They weren't coming to redo everything Philip did. They weren't saying, oh, he's just a deacon. You need some apostles there. They were coming to affirm what was going on there. And they were going to affirm that they had truly received the gospel. And they were going to affirm that they had truly received the Holy Spirit. That way you wouldn't just have news reaching Jerusalem saying, yeah, you hear about them. They had their own little day of Pentecost over there. And I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They're just a bunch of Samaritans. Now, Peter and John were there. Peter and John were there, and they played a part in it. They didn't bring the Holy Spirit, but God used them, the laying on of their hands. So 
It's significant that God gave Peter and John to go to Samaria to affirm what was going on and also to play a part in these people receiving the Holy Spirit. It would take away all the questions. It would take away the rivalry. You wouldn't have a Jewish church and a Samaritan church. You would have one church. This would fulfill the words of Jesus on the night before He was crucified when He prayed to His Father and the, about His disciples. Father, may they be one. May they be one. Such a beautiful event that takes place in verses 14 through 17 of Acts chapter 8. Let's go back to Simon though, okay? Let's go back to Simon. By the way, to be clear, I know I shared some wrong views on the Holy Spirit. You want to know the right view? You receive the Holy Spirit at the very moment you're saved. You don't receive the Holy Spirit after you're baptized. You don't receive the Holy Spirit after you've been a Christian for quite some time. You receive the Holy Spirit as soon as you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. It is instantaneous. It is immediate. They are together. Let me share some scripture with you to support that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And guess how long that seal lasts? Forever. Forever. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Follow the logic of this verse. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So what does that mean for someone that says, Oh, I'm a believer, I'm saved, but I ain't got the Holy Spirit yet. I'm still waiting on that one. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you ain't saved. Because when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. When you get saved... You belong to Him. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. So wake up. You're in trouble. Get saved. Let's go back to Simon, verses 18 through 19. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that on anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Does this sound like a new Simon or old Simon? Sounds like the same old Simon. Simon the magician. Simon who wants to learn some tricks. Simon who wants power. As a side note, this also lets us know that when the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit, I know today you're just like, man, what are we supposed to do when we receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. But we don't have flames of fire above our heads. We don't start speaking all these different languages. But many believe something that happened on the day of Pentecost was very similar to what happened to the Samaritans. Why do I say that? Something visible and audible had to happen. How do we know that? Simon was paying attention. He wanted it. He wanted to have what is taking place. This again shows that this man was fixated on signs and wonders. He even offers to buy this power. This was common amongst magicians. Hey, sell me your tricks. Sell me your trades. I'll give you money. Because they know if they receive those tricks, that will ultimately profit 
them. He not only wanted this power, he was greedy. He wanted money. This act of Simon also, this is interesting. I know we don't use this word often today. But there's an ecclesiastical term called simony. Simony. And it finds its beginnings through Simon the Magician. Simony is when someone thinks they can buy position in the church or buy influence in the church. Throughout Catholicism, if you want to be a bishop, you could pay to be a bishop. And I know many are like, well, I'm glad those days are over. No, they are alive and well. People still think they can buy influence in the church. I caught wind this week of a, of a pastor telling me, went to visit someone, and, and the person was just bragging and bragging and bragging about all they did for the church way back in the day. All that they did, all the money they gave. It tells you a lot about that person's heart, doesn't it? You can't buy power. You can't buy influence. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. Not if you don't have the right heart. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Our English translation is pretty PG, pretty PG there. But if you look at the Greek, we see that Peter is still a very salty fisherman. You know what you could translate the, the exact Greek would say there? You and your money can go to hell. Some of you are like, he just cussed at church. No, the Bible did. The Bible says to hell with you and your money. Peter would certainly not say this to a true believer. Because a true believer can't go to hell. Look at verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Peter's words just flat out tell us that Simon is not a true believer. Believer. He says, you have no part or lot in this. You can't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have him. Then he flat out explicitly tells us, your heart is not right. Folks, when you get saved, your heart gets right. You get the righteousness of Christ. The book of Ezekiel says this, you get a new heart. His heart's not right. He goes on to say in verse 22, repent therefore of the wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What does that mean? That's not in our common vernacular. Chuck Swindoll gives a very good explanation. The gall of bitterness is a vivid metaphor for someone who is deeply envious or resentful of someone. Do you remember the story of Simon? Who was he in Samaria before Philip came to town? He was great. He, he had all the people's attention. But Philip came to town. He was jealous. He was bitter. It also says being in the bondage of iniquity could be paraphrased, handcuffed to wrongdoing, implying that Simon's capacity for free choice had been so compromised by his dependence upon evil that he could not escape without help. In other words, if one seeks repentance, here's some good news. God will certainly Granted. The question is, did Simon repent? Did Simon repent? Let's look at his response in verse 24. After he hears all this from Peter, whose name's also Simon, Simon answered, Pray to me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Simon didn't pray. But he asked Peter to pray. Dear person who's paying attention at 11.08 a.m. this Sunday. You can't have somebody else repent for you. Just like you can't have somebody else get saved for you. Remember what I talked about earlier? It's between you and the Lord. Simon didn't pray. He asked Peter to pray. Notice Simon's concern. What is he concerned with? He was concerned with escaping punishment. I'm right there with him. I don't want to go to hell. In fact, that's part of my testimony. I, I, I was scared of hell. I was scared of hell. But when it comes to being saved, you can't just be scared of hell. You can't just be saved to escape punishment. You get saved to know eternal life. And Jesus himself is eternal life. Simon didn't fear God. He feared the punishment of God. A person has to fear God. They have to fear the Lord. And they have to know that their sin isn't just deserving of punishment. That their sin offends and hurts our Lord. Simon only feared damnation. This again lets us know he had the wrong motives. We see a similar episode in the book of Acts already with two folks in Scripture. Very, a, a, somewhat of a parallel with Simon. But their name was Ananias and his pretty little wife, Sapphira. Her name meant beauty, so she must have been pretty. But we know that they lied. They lied. They lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And through discernment, through the Holy Spirit's power, Peter knew they were lying. What do we know about Ananias and Sapphira? Did Peter give an altar call for them? No, they dropped dead at the altar. They dropped dead at the altar. We have a similar episode today, especially it's also related to the Holy Spirit. But you know what's really nice about this story with Simon? He was graciously offered the opportunity to repent. Simon was given the opportunity to repent. Now we don't see him repenting right here and Scripture doesn't return to Simon. The story's silent on him. We know from church history, especially in the second century, many believe that Simon the magician became a false teacher. So he not only was a false believer, a false teacher. We don't know those facts. That's what church history tells us. But Scripture is silent when it comes to the end of Simon's story. With that being said, church, you don't need to be concerned with Simon's story. The only story you need to be concerned with is your own story. Have you personally come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and your trust in Him for your salvation? I'm also going to add this one here. Have you truly repented of your sins? Are you a true believer? Or are you a false believer? That's the question I'm going to leave with you today. Let's pray.